With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 22nd of September. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with representing sponsor Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider and a virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location, access anything you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. And that's the most important part of this, keeping that data safe from ne'er-do-wells and miscreants and the likes of people you find on the internet. Check out LibertyShield.com, hardware and software packages. Use the code EPLVPN and you get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on either their own physical websites or on Etsy. Just download the Etsy app to your phone and search EPL Index or Anfield Index. Right, folks. Uh, we've got some breaking news this morning. Uh, Non-Premier League related. Derby County have officially entered administration and been deducted 12 points by the English Football League. The Championship Club announced their intention to call in administrators on Friday with owner Mel Morris saying the coronavirus pandemic had cost them about £20 million in lost revenue. Morris has spent the past two days talking to the players and staff, whose jobs are now uncertain. Wayne Rooney's Rams will drop to the very bottom of the championship, which is unfortunate because they'd made a decent start. But on the plus side, they only go to minus two for now. They had been on 10 points, they'll lose 12, they'll go to minus two. It could get worse with potential penalties coming for their financial messing about with their accounts. They could be due another nine-point deduction. But as things stand, they're actually only nine points from safety in the championship. Nottingham Forest have four points. They've just appointed Steve Cooper, so the hope will be they'll get better. But Hull have five, newly promoted into the division. Peterborough have seven, newly promoted into the division. Swansea have seven. They obviously lost Steve Cooper in the summer. It hasn't started well under the new manager, but they'll be hoping to turn things around. Then you've got Blackpool, Barnsley and Millwall all on eight points. Derby Derby were 12th. So they'll drop to the foot of the table, but they're not cut off from the rest as things stand. Only six points behind Forest, seven behind Hull. They can get themselves back into the mix. 
if they can band together, use this as motivation, develop a siege mentality. If the nine points come soon, it will hammer them. That will be a massive blow. It's likely going to happen this season. It's going to be a massive task for them to avoid relegation when 21 points are taken off them. Seven wins is a lot. That's what 21 points obviously relates to, seven wins. Last season, they only won 11 games in the whole season. So just to get back to zero points, they'll have to have won seven games. And that's going to be tough. But it's a big task for Wayne Rooney. Credit to him. He said all the right things so far. He hasn't shirked responsibility. He hasn't hinted that he might leave. He's committed to the club. I think he will get the players rallied around. One of the benefits of their transfer embargo situation has been the only players they've been able to sign have been kind of more experienced players on free transfers. So maybe there's just going to be enough grown-ups in the room that they can use that leadership council that they're going to have, get the squad really tight-knit and force the way up the league. The likes of David Marshall, Craig Forsythe, Phil Jagielka, Tom Lawrence, Colin Kazim Richards. Like These are experienced players. Now, Richards is injured. He'll be out for a while, but he'll still be in and around the group. Curtis Davis is still there. If these players, who've all been around, they've seen pretty much everything there is to see in the game, if they can get together, rally their teammates, and then the really talented young players, the likes of Louis Sibley and Jason Knight, when he gets back from injury, Maybe they can just lift the level a little bit. And maybe there's a chance. The nine points is going to be such a harsh secondary blow to them. And it is coming. It's pretty much agreed that they're going to take nine points with a further three suspended uh, pending, you know, any further possible um, discrepancies that crop up. But it is possible. All is not lost yet for Derby. A bad run, we'll see them done and dusted early this season. But if they can bounce back out of this, string together a couple of good results, maybe, maybe they'll have a chance. And their fans deserve the players to give everything they can. The fans are tremendous at Derby County. They're tremendously loyal. And they will want to see their team fight for every single point. They've got Sheffield United coming up next. That's an away game. Sheffield United have had a mixed start to the season. They were a couple of points, at one point actually behind Derby, as things stood before the deduction. Then they get Reading at home. Reading are a team who have promotion ambitions, but were also sitting in mid-table, level on points with Derby. Then they get Swansea. At home, that's a game they should look to win. Preston away. Preston again, bottom half the table. They were behind where Derby were. These are games they can win. These are teams that they've started the season better than. Then Luton, again, it's a game they can win. It's a game they should target to win. So if they could say in the next five games, pick up two wins, two draws and a defeat, it's another eight points. It will claw back some of the gulf between them and Forrest and Hull at the bottom of the table. And maybe give them a fighting chance. But the next five games are going to be really key. And even though this 
the premise of this podcast is Premier League based. I do want to keep an eye on that Derby situation. It's such a hard thing to, to see as a football fan, first and foremost. Like everybody knows my allegiance is to Liverpool, but I, I would put that secondary to my love of football and love of the game and love of the history of the game. And I want to see proper clubs, and Derby are a proper club. I want to see them survive. I want to see them do well. I'd love to see them in the Premier League. Mentioned yesterday, I have my uh, stepfather's brother is a, a huge Derby County fan. And, you know, just even for him, I, I'd like to see Derby doing well. Even if they could get into that Norwich kind of situation where they go up and down and they have some excitement, they're in the Premier League, they're in the Championship, but they're competing to go back up. That would be a much better situation than what they found themselves in for most of the last 10 years. Most of the last 15 years, I should say. Um, so we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on the Derby County situation. Liverpool have announced that they are moving forward with their expansion plans for Anfield. The Anfield road end is to be developed beginning next week. And it should be ready in time for the 23-24 season. So a two-year build to add 7,000 seats to the stand. Very similar plan to when they redeveloped the main stand. They'll keep the bottom tier and they'll put a massive second tier on and extend it out the back for support and more amenities, more facilities. I think it's a great move for the club. It will raise the capacity to 61,000. It will raise the capacity of the Anfield Road End to just un- from just under 9,000 to just under 16,000. It will allow Liverpool to finally start getting in more of those people who are on the waiting list for season tickets. It's people who've been on that you know, 15 years, didn't get lucky enough to get one when the main stand was expanded and hopefully now will get their season ticket once the Anfield road end is done. And it's good to see Liverpool's owners at least doing this. Um, there's multiple ways to look at it, but I'm, I'm purely looking at it from the side of Anfield's a historic ground. The way they developed the main stand kept the essence of the stadium the second development now of the Anfield Road, that should do the same. It will boost jobs in local area and Liverpool have doubled down on their commitment to battling things like food poverty and the education issues in in local areas, giving back to the community, becoming more, more involved in what goes on in the streets of Anfield rather than just in the football stadium. Caring more about the local residents and putting things in place that will improve their lives as well. So this is good news. Um, Carabao Cup last night. Multiple Premier League teams involved. Manchester City beat Wickham Wanderers 6-1. Wickham went 1-0 up through Brandon Hanlon, but Kevin De Bruyne, two from Riyad Mahrez, Phil Foden, Ferran Torres and Cole Palmer Give City the comfortable win. Cole Palmer's first goal for City, likely to be the first of many. He looks a special player. Uh, City's first 11, Zach Steffen in goal. Four kids across the defence. Egan Riley, Burns, Mebi Tabu, and Wilson Esbrand. And then Lavia at holding midfield. And then five five starters, you would say. I mean, De Bruyne's first choice. Mares is... He's often first choice. 
Sterling is first choice. Ferran Torres, I think, has been their best option as a nine this season. And Phil Foden should be a starter. Um, you know, you, you, you pop Rodri in for Lavia, and that's maybe the best front six they have. Obviously, Ilke Gundogan deserves mention here. Bernardo Silva, they paid $100 million for Jack Grealish, so he's got to be considered. But it was a strong City team, and they played well. I mean, they did. Once they went, once they went behind, they just seemed to spark to life, and they, they cut Wickham open whenever they really wanted to, and made it look very easy. 26 shots in the game, 14 on target. Wickham gave a good account of themselves, but were just overwhelmed. Uh, Premier League team out, Watford 1, Stoke 3. Nick Powell, Sam Klukas and Josh Tymon with the goals for Stoke. Ashley Fletcher with the only goal for Watford. Um, really nice to see Josh Tymon getting a goal. He came through at Hull, was Andy Robertson's backup, and their plan was that he would be the successor to Andy Robertson. They just forgot to tell him and forgot to renew his contract. He moved on to Stoke. He had a bit of a rough time just in terms of settling in and developing. Stoke's not the ideal place for a young player to develop. For whatever reason, they just don't seem to put much emphasis on that side of the game. And he's finally starting to show what he can do over the last 18 months or so under Michael O'Neill. Really good to see. Very, very good young left back. Keep an eye out for him. Um, it was largely a reserve eleven. For Watford, uh, Ngaki has started. He, he potentially could be a starter. Cabaselli started. He could be a starter. Messina is probably the best left back at the club. Tufan's a good player, and I think they'll work him into the first team. Uh, Hernandez started. Fletcher and Sema up front. But all things considered, largely a reserve eleven. I don't think Watford will be too put out by going out of the competition because their focus is going to be on survival. Uh, Leeds nil, Fulham nil. At Craven Cottage, leads through on penalties. So Bielsa's team advance. Uh, a, a pretty strong team. Um, Melier played in goal. Firpo was left back. Dallas was right back. Cresswell, who's not really a centre-back. And um, Calvin Phillips played at centre-back. Shackleton and Glisham in midfield. Somerville, who's really promising. Rodrigo and Dan James, all behind Tyler Roberts. Adam Forshaw come off the bench. Joe Gellhart come off the bench, which was nice to see. He's really promising. And that that Leeds bench had a lot of promising players. Gellhart, Hjeld, Drema, uh, McKinstry and Greenwood. The future is very bright at Leeds when you consider those players, plus Somerville, all very, very young. Cresswell's young. James is still young. Roberts is still young. Melier's is very young. This is a really, a really good time for Leeds where... I've mentioned this before, they've they've approached the transfer market in the right way, buying players for now and buying players for the long term. And I think it's working out well. You'd like to see them pick up their form in the league, but I think it will come. I have no no real concerns about them yet. Uh, Sunderland 2, Wigan 0. Battle of two teams that have really, really been through the ringer in the last few years. Uh, Wigan, obviously, horrible to see them go through administration multiple failed sales, all of their best young players, including Joe Gellhart, who played for Leeds, sold off for a fraction of what they're worth. Sunderland obviously know what it's like to go through a very tough time, but things are looking up for the Mackhams with new ownership, good manager, 
a real plan for the first time in a lot of years. And hopefully we see Wigan, you know, bouncing back up through the divisions in the coming years. Uh, Burnley 4, Rochdale 1. Jay Rodriguez with all four goals after Jake Beasley had put Rochdale 1 up. Burnley dominated 22 shots, 13 on target. Dice will be, he'll be outraged by this much attacking football. But a very strong team from Dice here. Nick Pope started, Phil Bardsley, Nathan Collins, James Tarkovsky and Eric Peters as the back line. Aaron Lennon, Jack Cork, Ashley Westwood and Max Cornett in midfield. And then Rodriguez and Vidra up front. So, you know, what are we looking at there? Five, maybe six starters. Um, good to see Dyche going with a strong team and, and making a run, at having a, you know, a decent spell in the cup. But also shows that they do have a little bit of depth there. And, you know, Lennon and Cornette out and out wingers on their natural sides, lots of pace. It was, I watched the highlights and it was a, it was a decent showing from Burnley. It really was. Uh, Liverpool 3, Norwich 0 at Carroll Road. Second time this season that Liverpool have played there. Second time they've gotten a 3-0 win. Taki Minamino with two and Divock Origi with the third. Liverpool... The only person you could maybe make a case for who's a starter that played last night is Naby Keita, who played the first 45 minutes. But it was very much a changed 11. Kanate and Gomez at centre-back. A debut at right-back for Conor Bradley. Costa Simicus continued his good form at left-back. Cuevin Kelleher in goal came in, made a, saved a penalty, had a couple of good, good moments in the game. Curtis Jones and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain getting minutes into their legs. Jones's first start of the season is 50th appearance for Liverpool, so milestone night for him. Uh, Minamino put them one up after an Origi assist. Origi made a two from a Simicus cross, and then Minamino with the third from an Oxlade-Chamberlain uh, pass. Kate Gordon making his debut on the right-hand side, only 16 years of age. Really is one to watch. Super, super talented. The best player in England at his age group by a considerable distance. He's really special and one to keep an eye on. It was a strong enough Norwich team as well. Hanley, Gibson, Rupp, Giannolis, Gilmore, Lise Malou, all starters. Uh, they went with a 3-1-4-2 and defensively it just didn't work for them. There's a lot of space, but they did they did cause Liverpool trouble going forward. Now a lot of that is down to that back four has never played together before. The midfield has never played together before. And certainly not with Curtis Jones as a number six. But Norwich did have their moments. That back three just did not work. I wonder, could it have worked better with Quebec instead of Hanley? Um, Bamadeli played on the right of the three and Gibson on the left. And that's fine. You know, they weren't too bad. But Hanley was a little bit of a problem. Lack of pace. And I've said before, I think he is a good championship player who falls a little bit short at the top level. And even though this was Liverpool's reserve team, Minamino and Origi are Premier League calibre players. The midfield are all good to very good players. And in defence, you've got three excellent players and one very promising right back and then that very promising right winger. So it was a strong-ish Liverpool team. Now, some people have taken this as a sign that Liverpool were right not to sign anybody else. But I, I would argue that all of the people who are praising Costa Simicus right now are largely the same people who disparage anyone that says Liverpool need to buy a backup to Trent. Well, when you see Simicus doing this, 
And there's now some some debate over whether he should keep his place and Robertson should sit out a little while. Don't you think they'd benefit from having that on the right as well? Like, oh, you'll never find a backup to Trent. People said the same thing about finding a backup to Robertson. They did. That's just a simple fact. They did. It also highlighted the need for a, a backup to uh, Fabinho in the number six role, though Tyler Morton did give a good account of himself when he came on at half time. Uh, as the Reds roll on. Hopefully Jurgen Klopp takes the competition a bit more seriously this year than he has in previous years. Uh, Preston one, Preston 4, Cheltenham 1, Andrew Hughes, Joe Rafferty, Sean Maguire and Emil Reese jakobsen with the goals. Kyle Vessel, or Vassal rather, with the only goal for Cheltenham. Sheffield United 2, Southampton 2 and the Saints through on penalties. Enda Stevens had put Sheffield United 1-0 up. Ibrahima Diallo scored the equaliser on 23. Mohamed Salisu scored on 53. And then Ollie McBurney on 66 to send the game to penalties. Uh, Romeo, Diallo, Adams and Ward-Prowse all scored for Southampton. Broya, the only, their only one to miss. Uh, Norwood and Osborne scored for Sheffield United. But Rian Brewster and Ollie McBurney both missed. Looking at that Sheffield United team, Fraser Forster, or sorry, that Southampton team, Fraser Forster started in goal, and there's a real argument there over who the best keeper at the club is. Uh, Valerie at right back. Nice to see him getting a run out. Nice to see him at least back in the mix. He's a talented right back. Um, Leanso and Salisu played together at centre back for the first time. Perot at left back. Diallo, Romeo in midfield. Tella. Redmond and Jennifer behind Broya. A decent team, a pretty strong team. Um, there's not a real glaring weakness in that. Nathan Redmond as a 10 is not ideal, but it's a strong midfield, strong defence. Valerie's, you know, looked a little bit like a guy that hasn't played a lot of football at a decent level in a while, but he, he is a talented player and they were able to bring on Ward Prowse, Che Adams and Bednarak. So, you know, all things considered, they'll be very happy to be through. For Sheffield United, though, I mean, they played a 4-2-3-1. And this is a club that owns no wingers at all. So that's odd. That's odd. Um, it's not a good look for Rian Brewster 13 months or so after moving for a fee that could rise to £26 million, that he's not even getting in the cup team. That's not a good look. That's a sign that this move really, really has gone as far wrong as it's possible to go. And maybe he's about to hit rock bottom. And from there, hopefully there is only one way he can go, which is back up. Because Rian Brewster is a very, very talented player. He's a natural goal scorer. I really would like to see him get more of an opportunity at Sheffield United. And it, it, it's kind of shocking to me that he's not getting more opportunities. Because he does have the talent. He just needs that run of games. And I know they've got ambitions to get promoted straight back to the Premier League. But at the same time, you've got a massive investment in that player. At some point, you have to give him the opportunities. They didn't last season. They haven't so far this season. So that's a concern. Uh, Brentford 7, Oldham 0. Marcus Fors with four goals. Johan Wiese, summer signing, gets two. 
and a Rafael Diara own goal. Uh, all things considered, a very, very good night for Brentford. Dominant performance. And, you know, when you see them lining up with nobody who's currently first choice, it's a really good sign. Jensen, you could probably argue, is first choice. Onyeka probably gets there in the next few months. But all things considered, I think Brentford will be really, really happy with how the night went. Uh, Zanke Jorgensen, who was signed late on, and I actually missed this. I only, only noticed at the weekend that they signed him. Um, he got his first start. He'll bring experience. I did say I thought they were one light at centre-back, so he adds to that. Um, he's a little bit past his best, obviously, but he's been in the Premier League before with Huddersfield. He knows what it's about. He can cope with the physicality. I like that signing for Brentford, and, and last night he got his first outing. And then the final game, QPR 2 Everton 2 and QPR through on penalties. Two for Charlie Austin, Lucas Dina and Andros Townsend with the Everton goals. To penalties we went. Holgate and Austin scored. Keane and Ball scored. Townsend and Barbot scored. Gray and Willock scored. Gordon and Adamoa scored. Ducure and Duke McKenna scored. Godfrey missed, was allowed to retake his penalty. And then Luke Amos scored. Then Tom Davies missed a fairly weak penalty. And Jimmy Dunn, formerly of Burnley, uh, scores to give QPR the 8-7 win on penalties. It's not good for Everton. It really isn't. Like, admittedly, they're without some players. But Holgate, Godfrey and Dina are three of their four best defenders. Davies is a good player. They spent big money on Andre Gomes. Townsend is starting for them right now. Iwobi should be first choice. Gordon's a talented player. And Rondon, Rafa Benitez loves. This is not a bad Everton team. This is not a weak team by any stretch. They also brought Michael Keane, Damari Gray and Abdullah Dukuri off the bench. And had Alan on the bench. So, barring the goalkeeper... Begovic isn't very good at all, and but Pickford is currently out. But Pickford, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison are the only players to come back into that group who improved them. And would it improve them massively? I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure. This was really disappointing from Everton. QPR carved them apart. Time and again, John Joe Kenny had himself a bit of a shocker at right back. And I thought Chris Willock looked really good for QPR. He's Joe Willock's older brother. Um, I thought he had a really good game. Alston, we know he's a Premier League, a proven Premier League goal scorer. Injuries are the only reason Charlie Austin's not still with a Premier League club and, and hasn't got close to 100 Premier League goals to his name at this point, in my view. I think Charlie Austin's just a natural goal scorer. And if it hadn't been for injuries, I think he'd be talked about in a similar enough way to Vardy without the league title because he has a similar story. He was playing in non-league for a few years. Kintbury Rangers, Hungerford Town, Tatcham Town. All three of them sound like something out of the Hunger Games. Uh, then Poole Town, he had an incredible season there, 48 and 42. Goes to Swindon, 
I was lucky enough to see him at Swindon. He was excellent. Uh, a friend of mine, Paul Sterrett, big Swindon fan. We used to go to Swindon games, and, and Alston was very, very good. Went to Burnley, really good. QPR, really good. Got his move to Southampton, and injuries just ruined things for him. Same thing at West Brom. But last year, he did well on loan with QPR. They've made that deal permanent. It is just the injuries. Like You look at his time at Southampton, 23 games the first season, 15, 24, 25. Injuries just taking away big chunks of his season. Then when he came back, he was struggling. But when he was fit, his first Premier League season, he gets 18 goals in 35 games. He scored for fun in the championship with Burnley. 25 and 37, really good return in the championship. Uh, he's a Premier League caliber striker who would have, I believe, coming up that first season with QPI gets 18. That was 14, 15. Seven seasons since. Six seasons since, rather. I, I think he'd have 100 Premier League goals to his name. I genuinely do believe that. Injuries just took so much of his game away from him. Took the bit of pace he had. He had a lovely little burst over about five yards. Could get himself that space and get his shot away. Great in the air. Great hold-up play. Really, really accurate finisher. It's just unfortunate for Charlie that injuries kind of spoiled his time at Southampton and he was never able to really recover from it. And he's, He is now a championship-level player, but he has proven he can score in the Premier League and Last night, he, he did. He made he made Everton look quite poor. Um, so out go the Ev. This was the competition that they should have been aiming to win this year. Haven't won anything since 1995. They might be aware of that. Liverpool fans singing at them often enough. This was a chance to get some silverware. You're not going to win the league. You're not going to get top four. You're not going to get top six and get Europa League. You're probably not getting seventh place for the Conference League. I don't think you'll win the FA Cup because I think the bigger teams will take that more seriously. This was a real opportunity and they blew it at the first hurdle, which is disappointing. It's really disappointing. Um, we do have, obviously, Carabao Cup games tonight. Premier League clubs involved again. So we have Brighton against Swansea. Should be a good game. You'd expect Brighton to win. Great form. Top four in the Premier League. Swansea, bottom four in the championship. You'd expect Brighton to come through that one. Leicester, Millwall. Leicester not in great form at the minute. Could be a tough enough game. Millwall haven't started the season particularly well either, though one win out of eight. You'd expect Leicester to come through even with a heavily rested team. Uh, Wolves against Tottenham should be an interesting one. Their Premier League game, Wolves were very unlucky not to get something. Tottenham won the game 1-0, but Wolves were, were unfortunate that they couldn't convert one of the many chances that they had. I, I'd be curious to see how strong of a team Wolves go with in this one, because they could really do with a, a win just for a bit of confidence. Uh, Manchester United against West Ham. They obviously played at the weekend. This one's at Old Trafford. Will Moyes go with a strong team? Can he afford to? Considering he doesn't have the biggest squad, they've got Europa League to focus on as well. Oli can afford to rotate heavily. It'll just be interesting to see what you know what level of team Moyes puts out. Arsenal against AFC Wimbledon. Uh, everybody should follow AFC Wimbledon. Everybody should love them. Um, the story of AFC Wimbledon is tremendous. 
and the fact that they're now back at Plough Lane is great. This game is obviously at the Emirates, but AFC Wimbledon definitely, uh, you know, one, one to keep an eye on every week. Uh, everybody, everybody should admire the original Wimbledon and what they did, what they were able to accomplish. Even if you didn't like the style of football, you should be able to uh, appreciate what they did. Um, and AFC Wimbledon to, you know, have, have, for those fans that have had their club torn away and moved to Milton Keynes and just say, no, we're not, we're not doing that. We're going to start our own. And now to be a football league club established with a lovely new stadium, it's great to see. Arsenal expect to play Charlie Patino tonight. Keep an eye on him. Keep an eye on Patino in midfield for Arsenal. A lot of Hayland experts say this is the most talented kid to walk through those doors. So do keep an eye on him. And then Chelsea, Aston Villa. You'd expect to see a fairly heavily rotated Chelsea team. But I do wonder if Villa might go pretty strong in this one because there's going to be pressure on Dean Smith to, to have a good season. And that can come in one of two ways, either with a real challenge at a European spot in the league or a really good cup run and potentially bringing home some silverware. It's been a long time since Villa won top-end silverware. And whether people want to admit it or not, the League Cup is top-end silverware. And Villa are, are a historic club who've had great success over the years. But they haven't won a major trophy since 1996. Don't push me on the playoff trophy. The idea that the playoff winner gets a trophy when they could have finished third to sixth and the team that finished second get nothing except a pat on the back, that really bugs me. But Villa haven't won anything since 1996, which was the League Cup. They're five times winners of the competition. They've got great history in it. I'd like to see them have a good run. You know, people forget five times winners of the League Cup, seven times winners of the FA Cup, seven times winners of the top flight in England, European Cup winners in 1982. Villa are a huge club with great history. It would be great to see them start to win some more silverware. It would great, be great to see Villa back among among the medals. That would be tremendous. Uh, so good games tonight. Eight of them. No, sorry, six of them. Um, if I had to pick one to watch, I, I'd go Arsenal, AFC Wimbledon for the AFC Wimbledon factor, and I want to see this Charlie Patino. But I do think Chelsea Villa sneakily could be the game of the night. So I do think Villa will go with a strong team. Uh, so looking forward to that. Going to take a break. When we come back, I want to take another little walk down memory lane as we did yesterday. So I'll see you in a minute. Right, folks, welcome back. So what I wanted to do was yesterday I talked about players from past eras and the disrespect that I continually see towards legends of the game, this idea that they couldn't play in today's game. And we've just lost Jimmy Greaves, one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. And, you know, no doubt there's morons out there because Jimmy Greaves is widely viewed as Tottenham's greatest ever player. And he's probably the greatest number nine to ever play for Chelsea as well. 
And yet, when you see all-time Chelsea 11s, he never gets a look in. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure there are morons out there who have said he's a dusty bowler or whatever the, the, the phrase is, and that he couldn't play in today's game. And it's just, just nonsense-like. But you also, one of the things you regularly see is, you know, team wins the Premier League. Is this the greatest Premier League team ever? And there's just, there's far too much disrespect, again, shown towards Premier League winners from the early days of the Premier League. There really is. And you go back and you look at the 1992-93 season in the Premier League and Manchester United obviously win the title. It's their first title in 26 years. Aston Villa would finish second. Norwich third. Blackburn fourth. QPR fifth. Liverpool sixth. Sheffield Wednesday seventh. Tottenham eighth. City ninth. Arsenal tenth. Arsenal, I think, won the cup double that year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Chelsea 11th. Wimbledon 12th, the original Wimbledon. Everton 13th. Sheffield United 14th, Coventry 15th, Ipswich 16th, Leeds 17th, Southampton 18th, Oldham 19th, Crystal Palace 20th, Middlesbrough 21st, and Nottingham Forest 22nd. So for kids that don't remember the Premier League, at one point had 22 teams. And, you know, you go back through those teams and... Villa, they've had a horrible time for a few years, but they're back now among the big, big time. Norwich have been a yo-yo club for quite a long time, but back then they were, you know, they were third in the league. They were qualifying for Europe and and heading off and playing the likes of Bayern Munich and Inter Milan. Uh, Blackburn have obviously been through the horrors with 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 the Venkies and you know multiple relegations, not quite been able to get back to the Premier League. Uh, QPR have had a horrible time with ownership. Sheffield United, this, Sheffield Wednesday, the same thing. Their ownership situation is not good at all. City went down the leagues, came back up. Can you imagine if City finished ninth now? Just can't can't picture it. Arsenal tenth. You could picture that right now though. Uh, Chelsea eleventh. Imagine what Roman Abramovich would do if Chelsea finished eleventh. Wimbledon. That Wimbledon doesn't exist anymore. That Wimbledon Football Club doesn't exist anymore. MK Dons took over, and AFC Wimbledon are, you know, they've they've been born out of the embers of this team. Um, Everton, they've just, you know, 13th, that's that's about Everton. Sheffield United have been down, they've been up, they've been down, they've been up, they've had an embarrassing season, they've gone down again. Coventry, what their fans have been through in recent years. They moved from Highfield Road to the Rico Arena. They got relegated. They had financial trouble. They had to move out of the Rico Arena because they couldn't afford the rent. Their fans were having to go to Northampton to watch them play, having to go to Birmingham to watch them play. Ipswich have had, you know, again, a lot of down years. Leeds, what club have been through the ringer as much as them? Southampton, Premier League club, but they've had some up and down times. Oldham, horror show. Absolute horror show for many years now. But again, you forget. They were Premier League club less than 30 years ago. Premier League club. Palace, they were always kind of a yo-yo team. Uh, Borough, that was their first go in the top flight. Down they went. They'd come back up, spend a bunch of money with a new stadium. Established themselves for a while. But they've dropped into the championship and, and not been able to come back out. And Nottingham Forest, I talked about a little bit yesterday. 
it's hard to see what's happened to them. That was the season they got relegated under Clough. Clough resigned at the end of the season and retired from the game. And he'd be horrified to see what's happened to, to Nottingham Forest ever since. But you look at that Manchester United team that won the title. Peter Schmeichel in goal, one of the all-time greats. Paul Parker at right back, really, really good player. Dennis Irwin, he's a top five fullback that I've ever seen, in my view. A defensively brilliant, going forward excellent, completely two-footed, could take corners and free kicks with both feet, could cross on the run with both feet, could shoot with both feet, never had a bad game. One of the most underrated players of all time. In backup then, you had Clayton Blackmore, Welsh international, could play both sides. You had Steve Bruce and Gary Pallister as the starting centre-backs. They both played every game. You had a young Gary Neville in the squad. Uh, you had Lee Martin there, was a, a good utility defender. That was a strong United defence. In midfield, you had Ryan Giggs on the left wing, his debut season. Kinchelskis was the starter on the right wing, but got hurt. And Lee Sharp ended up coming into the team and playing a lot. You had Paul Ince in central midfield. You had a kind of rotating cast in midfield with him because Brian Robson would have been the starter but was kind of at the tail end and was frequently injured. And Neil Webb was always injured. Mike Phelan played. Darren Ferguson played. He definitely wasn't good enough to be in that team. But you had young players like Beckham, Butt and... Keith Gillespie that were in and around the mix at the time. Up front, you had Dion Dublin as a, as a squad option. You had Danny Wallace as a squad option. You had Mark Hughes as the starting number nine. You had Cantona just off him. And then Brian McClare, who began the season as the starter next to, uh, next to Hughes, he moved back into midfield and played next to Ince and was tremendous in midfield for them. Uh, Brian McClare, very, very underrated player. Mark Hughes is the player that I... I always liked in that team because he just had this, the way he carried himself. He always looked like he was about to start a scrap with somebody. He was tough as nails. He can't have been, Mark Hughes can't be much more than 5'9". He's 5'11", apparently. I don't believe that for a second. I've, I've met Mark Hughes. I think he's about 5'9". But he was really stocky. He was incredibly aggressive in attacking the ball his technique for volleying second only to Marco van Basten that I've seen but he could play back to goal and he was one of those that just had an incredible core strength and he'd play back to goal he'd back his arse into a defender and he could just hold them off and he could hold them off endlessly and I always think when I when I look at the current Liverpool team I always think Mark Hughes would be a player that would fit perfectly in that team because he was brilliant at bringing the ball in and then bringing wide players into the game or playing a little ball around the corner for a midfielder who'd made a run. He could play off the ball, he could drop off into midfield, but he could get his goals as well. And I, I love Mark Hughes. Obviously, Cantona is the, the big star. He's the one that came in from Leeds mid-season and made all the difference. Tremendous player. His legacy is, it doesn't need to be spoken about. Eric Cantona is in the pantheon of great Manchester United players. And signing him was sort of that moment where you realised in that season, 
that's the team who's going to win the league. That's the team that's going to win the title this season. Because there'd been moments where Villa looked like they might be able to catch them. They'd had United had a really bad spell uh, mid-September through to mid-November. They went seven games without winning, five draws in a row and then two defeats. And then they turned it around. They did another little wobble in about March time, four games without a win. But it was Cantona's arrival that really kick-started things. Like they were, think of this, they were 10th on the 7th of September. They were 10th. And they ended up winning the league by 10 points. That Premier League season, Teddy Sheringham was top scorer. He'd started the season with Nottingham Forest, was sold after maybe two games, went to Spurs, top scorer. Les Ferdinand, one of the great Premier League strikers, he was second. Dean Holdsworth, a lot of people forget about him. He was a goal machine for Wimbledon. Great hair, just that that Al Pacino slicked back hair. Uh, Mickey Quinn, like some of these names I, I haven't thought about in years, but Mickey Quinn, big bustling number nine, would just bully bully defenders. Had a really strangely quick burst for a fella who looked. Well, he didn't look like a footballer. Put it that way. Um, he got 17. Alan Shearer got 16, as did David White of Man City. Chris Armstrong, who'd go on to play for Spurs, had 15, as did Cantona. Brian Dean, proper big old target man number nine. He had 15, as did Mark Hughes, as did Mark Letizia and Ian Wright. And Mark Robbins of Norwich. And for those that don't remember, Mark Robbins is the guy who saved Alex Ferguson's job, not once, but twice. So this, the season United won the FA Cup under Ferguson when they beat Crystal Palace in the replay, they were like 11th or 12th in the league going into the third round of the FA Cup. And there was a lot of talk that if they went out of the cup, Ferguson was for the chop. And he got the goal to, to get them through to the fourth round. Then in the semi-final, it was basically win this cup or you're gone. He got the winner in the FA Cup semi-final. He saved Ferguson's job twice. And he went on to have a decent enough career for, for, uh, for Norwich. It didn't really work for at United. But um, Mark Robbins is often overlooked for what he did for the legacy of Manchester United. He came through their academy united to the core um but his his lasting impression on united is he is the guy that saved fergie's job twice and without him maybe united don't win 13 league titles in fact they definitely don't win 13 league titles and who knows where ferguson ends up what he does next he certainly wouldn't have been out of work for long let's be clear on that but he wouldn't have had the success he did at united and Mark Robbins needs to be remembered for that. Um, the second season of the Premier League then, 93-94, again, United win the title. Uh, Blackburn finished second, eight points behind. Newcastle, newly promoted, finished third under Kevin Keegan. Arsenal up to fourth. Leeds fifth. Wimbledon sixth. This is the thing, Wimbledon finishing sixth. You don't to remember, they didn't even have their own stadium at the time. They were ground sharing at Selhurst Park. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday 7th, Liverpool 8th, 
Queen's Park Rangers 9th, Aston Villa 10th, Coventry 11th, Norwich 12th, West Ham 13th, Chelsea in 14th, Tottenham, Man City, Everton, Southampton, Ipswich, Sheffield United, Oldham and Swindon. That was the Swindon team that came up under Glenn Hoddle, who was the player manager, became more of a manager that season. Uh, they would get relegated. Then they'd go. Top scorers, Andy Cole with 34. Shearer with 31. Letizia and Sutton with 25 each. Ian Wright had 23. Peter Beardsley had 21. Mark Bright, the lesser known or lesser recognised part of the Wright and Bright combination at Crystal Palace a few years previously. He had 19. Cantona had 18. Uh, Dean Holdsworth, 17. And Rod Wallace. One of the the the, the Wallace, one of the Wallace uh, brothers, him and Ray, I think, were twins. And then there was Danny Wallace as well. Danny would play for United. Uh, they all came through at Southampton. They were really, really talented. Not sure any of them really reached the potential. Ray was a centre back, if memory serves. Rod played up front, and Danny Wallace was kind of a wide player. But um, you know, just some really good players there, and. Again, a good Premier League season. United, 92 points in 42 games. That's the thing. I think I'm right in saying that's the most points United ever got in a Premier League season. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's correct. Um, into 94-95 then, and, and finally we get a different winner. Blackburn Rovers win the Premier League title. And this was when Jack Walker was spending all of the money. All of the money. To, to make his hometown team the best in the land. Uh, they won the league by one point from United, and everybody remembers that final day. Blackburn went in ahead. United were playing West Ham away. Andy Cole missed a bunch of sitters. Blackburn were playing Liverpool at Anfield and, and would lose. Uh, Jamie Redknapp scored a worldie on the day I can't remember who got the other Liverpool goal but it might have been Fowler but it was brilliant it was a great game of football and Sky actually had the screen split with United West Ham on one side and you could and Blackburn Liverpool on the other side and you could watch the drama unfold and it was fantastic it was it wasn't quite you know United City uh, many years later, but it was it was brilliant to watch. And um, yeah, United fell just short. And that Blackburn team, again, often overlooked how good it was. Tim Flowers in goal. Tim Flowers would have had easily 60 or 70 caps for England if it wasn't for David Seaman. Tim Flowers was a great goalkeeper. This is a really good Blackburn squad. Really, really good Blackburn squad. They had Henning Berg, in defence, along with Colin Hendry and Graham Lasseau. You also had the likes of Tony Gale, Alan Wright, Jeff Kenna, all capable of playing at any time in a multitude of positions. Ian Pearce regularly played centre-back, so Berg could play right-back, even though Jeff Kenna was the first-choice right-back but had injury problems that year. It would have been Kenna, Berg, Hendry and Lasseau. And then the backups would have been probably Gale, Pierce, and Alan Wright. Alan Wright was a good left back. He played for Aston Villa at one point as well. But they had good depth there in defence, obviously managed by Kenny Dalglish. Uh, in midfield, 
most people remember this midfield as Stuart Ripley on the right, Jason Wilcox on the left, and then David Batty and Tim Sherwood as the central pairing. And technically, you're correct. That is the first choice midfield pairing. But Batty missed almost the entire season. He played about five games. Uh, where is David Batty? Yeah, he played five games in midfield that year. Mark Atkins, a forgotten man, was the starting midfielder for most of that season. Played 34 games, scored six goals. And he was sold the summer after they won the title. But he played a huge part in that team. Absolutely huge part in that team. You had Robbie Slater, the Aussie. Very, very valuable squad player. Paul Warhurst, who could play anywhere. Striker, central midfield or centre-back. Didn't matter to him at all. I should point out, the backup goalkeepers, Bobby Mims... And Shay Given, a very young Shay Given. That's a that's pretty strong. Up front, then you had Shearer and Sutton, obviously, uh, brilliant together. You also had Mike Newell, who was a good player. Kevin Gallagher missed a lot of the season, but he was very very talented. And like I said, Warhurst could play there. That was a really good team. Like that team's always overlooked. That's a really really good team. Two good wingers, strong in centre midfield, strong at centre-back, really good left-back. Jeff Kenna was... Jeff Kenna was Steve Finnan before Steve Finnan, but a great goalkeeper and one of the best strikers I've ever seen in Shearer and a good striker in Sutton who complemented Shearer really well. The first three seasons of the Premier League were really exciting. They just were, because it was new. Like, obviously, it was just Division 1 carried on, but there was so much more glitz and glamour about it. There was there was Sky Sports, and there was Andy Gray and Harry Hands, and they just, it seemed really innovative. It seemed brighter. I, it, it sounds weird, but it almost went, it, it felt like you went from watching the game in black and white to, like, Ultra HD. Such was the, the difference in the coverage between what had previously been available with the BBC and what Sky were doing. And there was just something about those first years in the Premier League. That United team, was the first that first United team that Ferguson built, that he then retooled after this season. Uh, he'd sell off Kinchelskis and, and Ince and, and Hughes. And he'd bring in Beckham and Giggs and Scholes and Butt and the Nevilles came into the team. And there was just, there was something really special about those early days of the Premier League. And it really does bother me when I see these teams dismissed and never mentioned in relation to, you know, the best teams in the Premier League. For their time, they were just brilliant. And a lot of those players, like Tim Flowers could easily play now, no question. Colin Hendry, I mean, Colin Hendry was, was tremendous. He's always overlooked. When people talk about great Premier League centre-backs, Colin Hendry's name never comes up. And I know he had a bad kind of end to his career. He, he had a couple of injuries. He lost what, the bit of pace he had. But as that dominant front foot 
Blood and Thunder centre back. He was he was great. Henning Berg was really good. Graham Rousseau was one of the best left backs the Premier League has ever seen. The two in midfield, I mean, Sherwood's a, a, a figure of fun for a multitude of reasons. His managerial career being one, and also the fact that Jack Walker once said, Why on earth would you want to sign Zinedine Zidane when you have Tim Sherwood? Uh, those are reasons to, to mock Tim Sherwood, but people forget what a good player he was. And a great leader he was in the middle of the park. Batty was... Batty's also vastly underrated. Has a reputation as someone that was just a ball winner that would kick people. But David Batty could play a pass. Don't be under any illusions. Batty could play a pass. Both of those wingers were really good. Ripley off the right. Tricky. Strong. Could beat a man. Could cross really well. Wilcox was really quick. Just whip balls in from the left-hand side. And Alan Shearer... There's a reason he's the all-time Premier League top scorer. He was great. Absol- and this Shearer, Blackburn Shearer, was better than Newcastle Shearer. Because this Shearer had pace. He could run in behind. He still had that incredible power. This version of Alan Shearer is probably the best pure nine to play in the Premier League. Shearer, in general, is the best nine to play in the Premier League. But this version, this version was special. Really, really special. And I think these teams deserve more credit. I really do. And I think this era of the Premier League deserves to be looked back on with a real fondness. Just to quickly clip through the the fourth season, United won the title, Newcastle were second. Um... That was the year that Newcastle should have won the title comfortably and threw it away. Uh, Liverpool finished third, Villa fourth, Arsenal fifth, Everton sixth, Blackburn seventh. They Kenny Dalglish resigned after winning the title, and Ray Harford, I think it was, took them over and it just didn't go very well. I think they got relegated, like if not the following season, the one after that. Uh, Tottenham. Nottingham Forest back up and finishing mid-table under Frank Clark. You'll remember they had the likes of Brian Roy at the time. Really, really good player. Um, West Ham, Chelsea mid-table again. Middlesbrough, Leeds, Wimbledon, Sheffield Wednesday, Coventry, Southampton. Relegated that season, Manchester City. It's incredible. Relegated on the last day of the season on goal difference. This was so much fun. This was so much fun to live through. And a big part of it was we didn't have the internet. We didn't have social media. So you weren't as sort of ingrained in the everyday thing. There wasn't this everyday frenzy around what was going on. There wasn't as much, you know, chatter of what's happening within the club. You know, there's discontent, there's this, there's that, there's the other thing. You just love football for the sake of loving football. And you'd spend hours on CFAX and Teletext and Airtel if you lived in Ireland. You'd go into a news agent and you'd annoy the owner by flipping through the sports pages, trying to read every little bit about what was going on in football that day. And obviously most of it was most of it was just the same kind of speculative nonsense that we read now, but you didn't have that same 
wall built up against clickbait nonsense. It was in the newspaper, so you accepted it. Just brilliant, absolutely brilliant to live through the early years of the Premier League, to look back on some of these players, the you know, the Dean Holdsworths, uh, players like that, like just you couldn't have asked for better at the time. Jurgen Klinsmann coming to the Premier League in '94, like yeah, Klinsmann coming and showing up with a set of sw- swimming goggles at his press conference because there was this media narrative that he was a diver and then doing the big dive after scoring his first goal. I remember the opening game, the opening weekend of the 94-95 season. They played Sheffield Wednesday. I want to say it was an away game. And Klinsman just he scored one of the best headed goals I ever I've ever seen. I still to this day haven't seen a better headed goal. And it holds up. It's a great cross, I think, from Darren Anderton. It could be Nicky Barnby. It could be somebody else. I think it was Darren Anderton. And Klinsman's coming in. And he takes, like, almost an exaggerated step towards the front of the defender. And the defender bites and goes for it. And Klinsman very quickly takes a couple of backward steps. Opens up a yard, a yard and a half of space. And rises perfectly to head home. And that was just, that level of technique was new to me anyway. There was obviously very technical players in the Premier League. But that level of movement, that was what made him so special. And, you know, Uwe Uwe Rosler at Man City, and a guy that I'd never heard of. He arrives at City, scores a ton of goals. You know, Stan Collymore, well, that was kind of his breakout season. Him and Brian Roy, and we'd seen Brian Roy for, for the Netherlands, and he looked really exciting. And he comes, plays for Forrest, and Forrest are great. Les Ferdinand banging in goals galore. You look at the top assisters. Rule Fox, anyone remember Rule Fox? Brilliant little right winger. Andy Hinchcliffe, great left back for, forever. Wonderful left foot. Brian Roy, like I mentioned. Kevin Gallon, him and Les Ferdinand as the front pair. With Trevor Sinclair on one wing. And I think it's is it was it Andy Sinton? Is that the guy's name? Andy Sinton. Was the the one that played off the left. Yes, Andy Sinton. That front four, he, he was gone actually by this point. What was the other guy's name? There was a guy who came in, was it Peacock? I can't remember. There was another another did a really good front four that year, QPR. They had a really strong team and they were regulars in the top half of the Premier League. Just a a brilliant era of football. A brilliant era of English football. The establishment of the Premier League, these new players, foreign players coming into the league, players coming up from the Championship and just lighting the Premier League on fire like Andy Cole did, like Collymore did. This This was brilliant. This was absolutely brilliant. If you missed it, you did miss out. You did miss out, I'm sorry to say. It was a great era. And if you saw it and dismiss it, I I have no more words for you. I'm going to wrap up with the gossip and get done for the day. France striker Anthony Martial will be free to leave Manchester United in the January transfer window. The 25-year-old is open to staying in the Premier League but could explore opportunities on the continent with Barcelona a possible destination. 
Barcelona are not a possible destination unless he's available on a free and he's not going to ask for any wages. But Anthony Martial is a much better player than we've seen at Man United. He's shown it in flashes. The season before last, he was excellent. A Premier League club will make a smart move in picking him up. Who that club will be, I don't know. Because you look around, they wouldn't sell him to City. But I think he would fit well at City. He'd get a ton of chances. I think he'd score a lot of goals. Spurs don't really have a spot for him if Kane is staying. Chelsea don't need him, obviously. He doesn't fit at Liverpool. They wouldn't sell him to Liverpool. So he's going to have to move to a non-title contending team. He'd be a good fit at Arsenal if Arsenal could offload Aubameyang. But I don't know if United would do business with him. If Leicester hadn't bought Daka, I would have said he'd be a good fit there. Everton play one up front. They have Calvert-Lewin on. Unless he's leaving, they don't need a striker. They certainly don't need a striker that would be as expensive as him. Um, he could be interesting at West Ham, but they wouldn't have the money. Brentford couldn't afford him, couldn't attract him. Villa bought Danny Ying, so they're not going to be in the market. But I do think he'd be a nice fit there next to Watkins. And with Buendia and Bailey, he'd get a lot of chances. There's not really a Premier League move that stands out there. Wolves won't have that money. Don't think he'd go to Leeds. Don't think he fits at Leeds. Certainly not going to Burnley or Norwich or Watford. If Newcastle get bought, maybe, maybe he, he he'll get you goals, and I think him and Callum Wilson could work because Wilson will do a lot of the hold up play. I think Martial will run in behind, but you would have to get him motivated. That's the key. Um, Manchester United goalkeeper Dean Henderson wants a loan move away in January. Understandable. Was brought back, sold a dream, and it's been snatched away. Chelsea are preparing new contract offers for. Mason Mount, N'Golo Kante and Jorginho, all of that makes sense. Chelsea were ready to offer £86 million for PSG and Brazil defender Marquinhos in the summer. I don't believe that to be true at all. Their first choice target was clearly Jules Kunde all summer. But I could imagine Tuchel would like to get Marquinhos because he was so important to him in Paris. But I don't think they were willing to pay 86 million. Not after selling, not, not after signing Lukaku. Um, Robert Lewandowski says he does not have to prove himself in another league after collecting the European Golden Shoe for scoring 41 goals for Bayern Munich in the 2021 season. He is absolutely correct. He doesn't prove himself anywhere. If you have doubts over Robert Lewandowski, that is a you problem, not a Lewandowski problem. Manchester City are monitoring Real Sociedad and Spain forward Mikel Oyarzabal. I suggested him as a signing during the summer, so I'm going to choose to believe that's true and that I am, in fact, a genius. Uh, Arsenal will make Bernard Leno available for transfer following the arrival of Aaron Ramsdale. Now, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not, I am. Bernard Leno has two years left in this contract, so he'll have one year left next summer you're going to get a pittance for him. And he only wants to go to Germany. He wants to go home. So, Bayern don't need him. Dortmund signed a really good keeper in the summer. Uh, 
Gladbach have a good keeper. He would be an upgrade at Leipzig, but I don't think they'd make the move. Uh, I th- could he go back to Leverkusen? Maybe. Maybe. It's hard to see where he'd go and harder to see who'd pay decent money for him. Barcelona are preparing to part ways with Ronald Koeman with Roberto Martinez lined up as the preferred choice to replace the Dutchman. You want to talk about failing upwards for a manager. Yes, he won the FA Cup at Wigan, but he got relegated. He gets the Everton job. He fails spectacularly there. Somehow gets the Belgium job. And yes, he has won 78% of his games. But let's be fair. They've won nothing. They finished third at the World Cup. That was disappointing because they should have got to the final. or they, They'll believe they should have got to the final. They flopped fairly spectacularly at the Euros. And he's, gonna get the Barcel- he's been linked to the Barcelona job. Ronald Koeman today, if you haven't seen it, came out to do a press conference, read a pre-written statement and got up and left. He is asking to get sacked because he won't walk away from the payment that they owe him. But I don't know if they can afford to sack him. Barcelona, train wreck. Um, Johan Laporte has not given up trying to, lie Pep, trying to lure Pep Guardiola back to the new camp. Um... Well, Pep is, is going to leave City, isn't he, when his contract expires? He's pretty much pretty much said that. Uh, but he says he wants to take a year off. Now, Pep's City contract runs until 2023. So he's got two years left. I don't believe he'd walk out on City. And I certainly don't believe he'd walk out on City to take over that mess. Um, I don't think he wants any part of that. No part. I think he would like Laporte, Laporta's job as president to run it from the top down and put his vision in place. But I don't think he wants to be the manager. Uh, Brendan Rodgers remains on Barcelona's radar. Um, I, Brendan would jump at the job. He would jump at it. He would walk to Barcelona to take that job. But I don't think they could afford to buy him out of his Leicester deal. Um, Andreas Iniesta believes his ex-Barcelona teammate Xavi is ready to take charge. Xavi doesn't want it. He's already turned it down once. He doesn't want to be involved in a mess. Sergio, I'm sorry, Marco Asensio could leave Real Madrid if he's not given more first-team opportunities. He's looked all right this season as well. Um, He's a very good player. He hasn't been the same since the knee injury, but someone could buy low on him and I think think get good return on that. Uh, Ancelotti says it is normal for those not playing to not be happy, but insists... Squad members such as Asensio are training well and will get minutes on the pitch. Portugal midfielder Jao Palhinha is set for a pay rise at Sporting Lisbon, having been linked with Everton, Tottenham and Wolves over the summer. Uh, his agent did a good job then, didn't he? Uh, Huddersfield's English midfielder Lewis O'Brien has agreed terms on a new contract despite four, bri- four bids from Premier League side Leeds United. Good for him. Good for him. Get your money. Ajax and Cameroon goalkeeper Andre Onana is attracting interest from Inter Milan and Napoli. I don't believe the Napoli part. They've got a really good keeper in Alex Murray. Inter Milan makes a ton of sense because Handanovic must be 37 now. He must be 37. And he is he is declining. Yeah, he's 37. He'll be 38 next summer. Onana would make a ton of sense to come in and replace him. And finally... Serbia striker Dusan Vlahovic, 21, 
who was linked to the move to Tottenham in the summer, says he cho- chose to stay at Fiorentina as he believes he can continue to grow at the Serie A side. Good to see the BBC have put someone else in charge of proofreading their gossip page today and have gotten the ages of players correct. That is as top work by the Beeb. And that will do us for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. I will see you tomorrow. If you have any questions for tomorrow's podcast, which is, of course, the questions podcast, stick them in the Anfield Index Discord if you're part of that or send them on Twitter to either Mr. Drinkle or the EPL Index account or the Anfield Index Twitter account. EPL Index one is easier because I'll see them there. But send them to Guy if you can. At Guy Drinkle. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.